Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast today that I'm really excited about. Uh, we're being joined by Paul Roselle. He's the head coach at Catawba Valley Community College, uh, junior college program in Hickory, North Carolina, and a really good one at that. I'll give you a quick background on Coach Roselle, and then uh, we'll get into questions with him. He's a 2010, uh, I'm sorry, a graduate of Appalachian State in 2008. 2010, he had his first college coaching job. He was an assistant coach at Catawba Valley, and that was the, the school's first year of baseball. So they started the baseball program in 2010, and Coach Roselle was there for that. In the springs of 11 and 12, he served as the strength and conditioning coach at Catawba Valley Community College. Then 2013, he switched uh, gears a little bit and went to be an assistant coach and strength and conditioning coach at Bandy's High School in North Carolina. Uh, while he was there, he was uh, part of a, a group of people that co-wrote a book called The Definitive Guide to Youth Athletic Strength, Conditioning, and Performance, which ultimately went on to be a bestseller on Amazon. I recommend you checking that out if you have not done it before, if that's an area you're interested in. In 2014, he went back to Catawba Valley, became the recruiting coordinator and catching instructor at CVCC. In 2014, the team won the regular season conference championship. They also won uh, what was at that time a school record 41 games. 2015 was his first season as the head coach at Catawba Valley. His first season as head coach, the team went 39-19 and overall. Uh, they won the fourth straight regular season championship. They won the region tournament that year. They won the Southeast District Championship, went to the D Division II World Series, and actually finished third in the country in the national, the NJCAA Division II World Series. In 2015, that same year, Coach Roselle got his master's degree from Coker College. In 2016, the he coached seven all-region players, including the Region 10 Player of the Year, first time in program history that Catawba Valley had the Player of the Year on the team. In 2017, he coached the National Player of the Year, first time in program history to have a National Player of the Year on the team. That same player was named an All-American. They also had a Gold Glove winner for the third straight season at Catawba Valley. Uh, May 14th of 2017, Coach Roselle won his 100th game as a, as a college head coach. In 2018, the team won a new school record 42 games. They had the Region Pitcher of the Year in 2018. That was the first time in program history that's happened. Um, they had an All-American on the team for the seventh straight year. They had two players drafted. And that summer, 2018, was the first of three, now three straight seasons where Coach Roselle has worked with the USA Baseball uh, National Identification uh, National Team Identification Series. Uh, that's where he worked in 2018. That is the uh, a selection tournament where uh, coaches pick next year's USA National Team. Uh, in 2019, he actually, with Team USA, worked with the 14U National Team Development Program with an unbelievable coaching staff. That might be something we get into here on the podcast. 2020 was his sixth season as the head coach at CVCC. He's been an associate scout with the New York Mets, a uh, guy with a really cool background, has done uh, quite a few things that I'm interested to talk to him about. Uh, coach Roselle, very much appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Jeff, I appreciate you having me, man. Honored to be here. And uh, that's a really long list of stuff uh, that just, I guess, has made it sound good, but it really isn't all that cool. I'm a, I'm a nobody, um, and uh, but uh, it's nice that our program uh, uh, gets a little bit of uh, love and admiration. But again, that's that's all dedicated to the players that we've had. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. No doubt, the players are, are a big part of it, but the players, you know, my opinion, don't go anywhere without a good coaching staff, and, and you've been a part of some really good teams there at Catawba Valley. Um, you know, I think the humbleness is probably a, one of the reasons for that, but, uh, you know, that much we all, uh, I think, appreciate hearing this, and I know it's uncomfortable for guys sometimes to hear their bio and to have someone talk about them, you know, that much, but I think it's important for listeners on this podcast uh, just to see how much success you guys have had in a short period of time. The program was started in 2010. By 2014, you guys were winning 40 games. You've been nationally ranked, uh, I believe, every year 
Um, at least since then, I'm not sure when the first year was of being nationally ranked, but several years in a row, several years in a row of having All-Americans, which is not uh, not a, a small feat for any junior college program anywhere. Um, and you guys are in a really good hot spot for college baseball. When you were there, Coach Roselle, in 2010, when the program first started, can you kind of talk about what um, what the atmosphere was like, just sort of what was what was the situation there when baseball was first started at Catawba Valley in twenty, the spring of 2010? Uh, well, it was underneath the, the direction of Coach Frank Paint, um, who has uh, been a mentor for, for me for a long time and still is. He's actually now the head coach at Caldwell Community College, which is our neighbor, a new Division three program that's 20 minutes away. Um, I joke with him all the time. He was uh, he's the winningest coach in Lenore Ryan, uh, uh, college, which is a local Division Two here, he's the winningest coach in their history. And then he got the job here and started here. And then he now he's got a job at Caldwell. And I said, I don't know if there's any other college coach that's gotten three head coaching jobs 30 minutes from his house uh, in college. So that's a pretty impressive feat. But we started under him, and he set the direction it's on for the program. The first year, obviously, we're we're opening our doors to anybody and everybody. And um, you know, to see 70, 80 guys walk through the door was uh, you know, interesting, um, but we, we worked through it. And Coach Pate kind of uh, is one of the great leaders and motivators that I've ever been around, and he got that team uh, kind of a, a lovable group of ragtag hooligans uh, and misfits, but got them all together, and, man, they love playing baseball, and he got them to buy in, and, you know, we, we start the season and uh, win a bunch in a row and come out. We're 14th in the country, and, you know, it's like, wow, we're, we're – That, that he got the players to buy in to his vision, to what he wanted to do. How exactly, if you can put it into words, how exactly do you create buy-in on a team, especially a, a new team that doesn't have returners? They're they're all there for the first time. They're they're kind of uh, you know learning the head coach's system, and, and 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 there's nothing really established there. How do you, as a coach, create buy-in with your players? Um, with a with a business degree, one of my favorite classes that I ever took in school was strategic management, and I just I really believe wholeheartedly that if you don't have a clear mission, vision, values, and and, and in terms of direction of your whether it's your business, your organization, or in this case your program, uh, I think it's easy to kind of get lost, and it's going to be harder to get that buy-in. So if you can give guys clear direction as to what we are going to do every day. I think it makes it easier to buy it. Doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen, but if you're, if guys are coming in the door and they're hearing what you're about in the recruiting visits, and they're seeing it on social media, uh, and they're seeing it if they're coming to games and watch practice, um, now when they get here, they already know about it, and so and we don't waver off of those things, and we we those are non-negotiable. Um, I don't believe in rules per se, but we believe in standards. So like, you don't get a list of things you can't do or not allowed to do. We just tell you how what you're expected to do. And then from there, you just hold people accountable to that. Accountable doesn't mean that you're kicking people off the team at left and right or doing whatever. But, you know, we have accountability groups in the fall. So, you know, if, if, if one of our standards is we don't miss class, that means if somebody misses class, well, that accountability group, may have some punishment or may have to suffer. And what I've found is, is that when the guys and the teammates 
start kind of driving the ship, um, it makes that buy-in a whole heck of a lot easier because, I, you know, obviously players have respect for coaches, uh, and I, I believe that. But if they're like me, I, I, I almost value the respect and admiration of my peers more so than I would necessarily an individual coach. And because I didn't want to be the guy that let guys down or, or my team down or whatever. So uh, when you can kind of create that environment, and I know culture is the, the hot, sexy word now, and, um, but it's, it, it is that way for a reason because if you can create that environment to where things can kind of auto-correct themselves and the players can kind of hold themselves accountable, um, I think that's how you can get that buy-in to what you really want and, and it doesn't have anything to do with wins or losses on the baseball field. As far as uh, setting kind of a clear vision and talk, you know, talking to recruits even before they they commit and they arrive on campus, talking about the vision, do you mind talking about um, like what do you share with your players as far as as far as the vision, as far as the direction of the program? You know, what do your players hear from you? You know, do you talk about more day-to-day? Do, do you give them uh, a long-term vision like we expect to compete for national championship every year? Do you keep it more like we want to win the conference every year and then you kind of let the rest take care of itself? I'm kind of curious as to just what sort of vision and uh, um, expectation that you share on the field. Well, let's talk about on the field first that you share with your players and, and incoming recruits. So let me unpack that the best I can. Uh, first, I'll go, I'll go ahead and tell you our mission is to provide a first-rate developmental experience for our student-athletes in the classroom and on the field. We're developing men. We value the person over the player. Our vision is to be the premier junior college program in NJCAA Division II by providing the best instruction through technology and data-driven methods while providing an education that will prepare students strong for four-year schools and hopefully a professional career. And our values that we attack obstacles every day with relentlessness and understand the true meaning of being selfless and that we own our decisions. That leads us to our values. That gets into the more day-to-day of what our guys hear. Selfless, relentless ownership. And I know every program has taglines and things, but uh, I, I just believe them to be to be true. I, I believe that if we if we beat these things in to our head, we hold ourselves accountable to these things, not just for players but the coaching staff as well, that we will have success. So the first one for us is selfless. You know, we need less of you. The success of the collective means more than the individual. We are here to serve others. I firmly believe that. You know, relentlessness. Um, a lot of people think relentlessness is like this playing with anger and rage and going crazy or whatever, but for us it's not. You know, it's a pursuit without interruption. It's constant, steady, and unwavering. You know, water always finds its way type deal. Is that regardless of what happens, we're just going to keep coming. We're going to keep coming, whether that's on the baseball field or in the classroom or whatever. That's kind of what we want to be. And then ownership, you know, obviously we got to be accountable for your actions. Understand that what's happening to you doesn't define you. However, your response does. Control the controllable, which is Coach B. Everybody's heard it. And then just pray about the rest. You'll figure it out. So those are, the, those are kind of the primary things that we talk about. And you go, okay, well now how does that translate into the field. Well, if we go back to what I said earlier, the person, the better the person, I, I believe, the better the player will be. So we got to work the person first and try to drive home those values. And then we take a developmental strategy with the players and we start with long-term goals. But I don't want the goals to be broad, right? Like I know you had said that, you know, win the conference, win the region or whatever. To me, that's an outcome-based thought. Like we, we we have zero control over that, but we can control every aspect of doing what we can to get to that result. So what I want them to do is give a real tangible developmental goal on the field. And like, because that's why they're at junior college. And we'll talk about all that here in a little bit. They're here because they're trying to get better to go on to another opportunity, whether it's a better financial opportunity, a, big, a bigger school, whatever the case may be. So if a pitcher walks in and he's 85, 86 off the mound, but he's like, Coach, I want to be 90 um, by the time I leave or by the end of this year, now that's the long-term tangible goal, and we work backwards from there. So we work backwards from there. So if you want to be that in May, where do you need to be in March, in January, in December, 
in November all the way back to wherever it is you're starting from. And then from there, you can get into your micro goals of what you need to do every day. So, hey, I need, uh, I'm attacking the weight room. I got to give them the strength and conditioning coach to make sure I'm, uh, my nutrients, uh, my macronutrients are good. I'm taking in enough calories. My lifts, my lifts are. I'm getting the, the appropriate lifts in per week. The appropriate sleep, whatever the case may be. My long toss. I know that hey, I'm trying to get to 90. I want to push past 300 feet, but right now I'm long tossing at 270. Well, I've got to improve on that. I got to get past 300 and get to 320, 330, 340. What do I need to do to do that? And so now you've you've kind of you've kind of Put a, put a fight on their on their target for them, right? So you've, you've taken broad goals and you've made something small and tangible that they can actually achieve and you just lock in laser focus. So you go through that process, you prepare, you evaluate, and you just repeat it. Um, it's just, uh, it's work for us. Um, and that's kind of what we look at uh, in terms of the developmental process for our guys. And obviously each guy is different, but that's pretty much the, the basis for everything that we do. Just to touch on, on one of the things you said earlier uh, a little bit more. You, you talked about that there aren't necessarily rules within your team. You don't have a rule sheet that the guys need to follow, but you just basically have expectations. Um, is that something you mind talking about? If some of the stuff you don't want to share, that's perfectly fine. But what what do you uh, expect from your players? How's that conversation go at the beginning of the year to to set the expectation for them and give them an idea of, you know, what what you expect out of them day to day? Yeah, I mean, number one, you know, uh, we talk about um, faith, family, and sports. All right, so you know. We, the first thing that we need to do is, is I need to be, I need you to be the best son that you can be to your parents and represent your family well. Um, I need you to be the best student that you can be in the classroom and do what is asked of you. Um, and then I need you to be the best athlete that takes ownership in their career. You know, little stuff, uh, you know, you're going to sit in the first two rows of class. Um, you're going to turn in your progress reports every two weeks. You're going to be heard saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am or thank you and you're welcome and just little stuff like that is just just you know hold yourself to a standard uh that you know what what's what's the saying that we've we've always heard um is that be the person your grandparents think you are um that's kind of that's kind of been the basis for a lot of our stuff that's what we want to do and represent day in and day out i like that i'm not sure i've ever heard that before uh, oh yeah, no, I heard that a couple of years ago. I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> every, every grandparent thinks their kid is thinks their grandkid is, is the best thing on earth, right? Maybe more so than. <laughs> <the parents. laughs> um, well, let's talk about junior college a little bit. And I'm, I'm a huge junior college advocate, as you know from our just our, our conversation when we weren't recording, and uh, I, I think it's a great level for a lot of guys. And I'm wondering. We're recording this in early August of 2020. Uh, COVID-19 is is still kind of leaving a lot of the sports world in question. We don't know exactly what's going to happen yet with college sports at different levels, even high school sports uh, going forward, especially fall sports of this year. Um, How do you expect – do you have any idea what the junior college landscape is going to look like you know, obviously nobody, maybe nobody knows in, in five years, but this coming year, uh, you know, all seniors across four-year levels were given, at least at the NCAA level, were given uh, another year of eligibility. Um, how do you expect junior college baseball to to change or even to sort of fit into this, to the new landscape of what, um, what college athletics are going to look like? You know, from what we know today... What's it going to look like in the next year? How does junior college baseball fit in there? Maybe how do how do things change because of uh, some changes due to COVID? I think junior college baseball is going to become a dominant player uh, in the decision process more so than ever before. Um, and frankly, because we have an influx of players. You mentioned that guy's got the year back in NCAA. Well, they got the year back in NCAA as well. Then you take the draft. <laughs> And now you go from 40 rounds to five. And let's say, what, you know, 1,200 guys get drafted in a normal year. Um, you know, let's say, let's even just say the number's half that actually signed, right? Well, now there's close to 500 guys that were, would be in professional baseball that this upcoming year are going to be in college baseball. 
And so we have programs that are shutting, shutting their doors uh, through all levels. <clears throat> and I think, unfortunately, there may be more to come. So we're getting more players with less opportunities. And now I think the junior college route is going to be pretty prevalent. And we've already seen it, obviously, if you, if during quarantine, if you got locked in on the transfer portal, it was a zoo uh, in there. And I don't think that's going to change. I think it's we're going to see another huge uptick, depending on what happens this fall season with the NCAA, at the NCAA level. Um, but even after next year, because guys are going to be places and they're not going to get opportunities, and they're going to want to look – for a place to play, and I think junior college baseball is going to be a pretty big factor uh, in terms of the college baseball landscape over the next couple of years. And like I said, I don't think it's just one year. I think we're going to see these ramifications for the next possibly five five years on. What's the biggest sell of junior college over four year schools for guys? Uh, maybe they're, they're looking in normal years, but even now, as as guys, I mean, kind of as you mentioned, they're they're. The Division One rosters, the Division Two rosters, they're going to be overcrowded, and, and kind of how I, at least, it's going to play out in my mind. And obviously, I'm not on the front lines anymore, but there are going to be too many guys at Division One level, and guys on those rosters are going to are going to see that, you know, playing time is not. There, if there's 40 guys on your team now, because you have some seniors that came back plus the incoming freshmen, 40, 42 guys on a roster, you know, typically in an in an average year. You know, in 56 games, you have nine to 12 pitchers that actually pitch a lot, and probably, you know, 12, 13 hitters that actually see a, a, a you know regular plate appearances. Um, there's a lot of guys that aren't going to get a lot of a lot of opportunities, and that's going to create trickle down. There's going to be guys that are going to transfer, you know, down levels, uh, upperclassmen that don't have the junior college option will have to go down to D2, NAIA, even Division three schools, you know, guys, and then Division two, then those rosters become even more crowded, uh, and guys will transfer down from those levels, and, and they're going to, you know, Division twos and threes are going to be crowded as well because of the same things, uh, and, and, it, and it seems like at every level, guys are going to have to transfer down to find playing time. Um, for one reason or another, and, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of those guys are going to end up at junior college. When you're talking to guys in a normal year, or even right now, talking to those type of players that maybe see the writing on the wall, um, what is the biggest sell about junior college? Is it the opportunity to sort of uh, get re-recruited and put yourself back out there? Is it an opportunity to develop and, and see if you can go to a higher level? Is it... Uh, you know, is it playing time? Because obviously there, you still have the same number of people on the roster, roughly, but you've only got primarily freshmen and sophomores. Uh, I, I know you guys, uh, junior college allowed guys to come back, but I'm sure academically a lot of guys had to move on, um, even if they wanted to come back from the junior college level. So is it is it playing time? Uh, is it an opportunity to go to a higher level? Is it an opportunity to find a four-year school where they can actually play and be a guy? Like say a, a guy comes from a, a Division One where – he was on the roster but wasn't going to see a lot of playing time. Then he comes to you, and after there he's looking for a place that, you know, wants him to be a starter. What is the what what is or uh, or are the biggest sells for you trying to recruit guys to your level? Well, the first thing is great education at a great price, right? So especially right now with all the uncertainty of, um, you know, we're paying for schools, but yet we're having online classes but still coming with a pretty hefty price tag. You know, obviously we can we can sell the same education for predominantly most of the schools in terms of their 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 first two years at a, at a substantially better price point, um, which which is intriguing to start with. The second thing is is a reset, especially for those guys that are that are looking to bounce back. And that, that that's a normal year. That's a new year. That's this year. It doesn't matter. It's a reset. Um, you know, they they can come in. They can kind of get their feet back underneath them and now maybe they committed to a school and whether whether people like it or not they, they committed to the school for the hashtag blessed twitter announcement um their junior year of high school but you know they didn't really maybe not been the best fit and they maybe not or maybe didn't do all their research now they made kind of the wrong choice they get to come to juco work play high competitive get coached get developed at programs that are proven that they're doing that and then reset now now let's find the right fit um so those are really our, our big sales playing time i never talk about because that's, 
downturn that I, I don't think I've ever told a player that uh, um, you're going to start or you're going to do this, that, and the other. So we don't talk about that. But obviously, right, like if a guy's going to have a pretty good idea of, of the rosters and who's playing where and their talent level and where they kind of see themselves fit in. Um, and, yeah, so those those are always been kind of the three things that you hit on. Um, but uh, that, they, don't, they don't necessarily change because of this new year. It's just maybe amplified a little bit. The financial piece of it is something I think is extremely important. And I've had that same conversation with people with, if these schools, if, if, you know, a bunch of four-year schools all around the country are only going online, particularly for someone who isn't like at 400 level courses or above or whatever, I, I, it's hard for me to understand why anybody would pay to go to a private school or even a state school when you can go to a, a junior, the local community college, junior college, and get the same education for a fraction of the price. It doesn't make any sense to me, and I have a hard time believing that some of these, I feel like some of these schools are running themselves right out of business. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, talk down on, on our four-year brothers and sisters because we work closely with a lot of them, but at the same point, we have to be, we have to look at things logically, and we, you know, we talk about with our players, like, what's your value to the team, right? Like, what, what value do you create? So when Coach writes the line about why is he putting your name down? So we create value on ourselves, but we can, so it's not unfair to ask of the value of our education, right? So a lot of these schools are fantastic, and they're unbelievable universities and unbelievable systems, and, and all that stuff is great. But again, if you're a freshman or sophomore, and you can get the same class at your local junior college or a junior college that you choose to play at at a fraction of the cost, it's hard to overlook that value. And so I'm with you 100%, and we've actually uh, we've actually prepared and, and, and starting to see a little bit of an uptick of, of some local kids that aren't even in athletics that are making that decision that, hey, they may be at a state school across the state. Well, we're unsure about this semester, so we're just going to stay at home and take those same classes and let you transfer back in in spring, hopefully when everything's good to go. Yeah, and I was even talking about – I was talking in my mind, think about more even the general student than the athlete. Uh, you know, some of these the major colleges that have you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand kids that that come there. I got to imagine that the average student is coming there. You know, sometimes it's it's the education, but I I know whether it's the right thing to say or not. I know you know that a lot of guys, a lot of kids go to those schools for the social atmosphere. A lot of those kids go to school to go to the sporting events. You know, to go watch a, a major college football team, to go watch uh, a top 25 college basketball team. Um, that's why a lot of these kids go to the big school over maybe maybe something that's lo that's local. They can at least live from live at home, or uh, or again the local community college for their first couple years of school. They they want the experience of of that big school, and without you know if sports aren't being played and you're and you're taking classes online at home, I, I, to me you lose a lot of why. Uh, people go there in the first place, and I just, you know, I, it concerns me that some of these schools are going to have to close their doors. But obviously, they're making the decision. They, they've probably thought about that. Um, but I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? It's such a, it's a strange environment, and you're just not quite sure uh, what things are going to look like in a lot of levels. Uh, but it seems like, you know, from what you and I have talked about, Catawba Valley's got a plan and a good one in place. The NJCAA is prepared to. To move forward uh, and let guys let sports happen in the spring, and uh, and I'm just you know I'm I'm happy I'm thrilled about that because I just I think that the kids need it I, I really think that uh, I think that people that that kids that play sports you know sports is is a part of their identification sure but it's also just how they kind of it's it's how they uh, to me it's it's a stress relief for people it's a way for them to feel to be a part of the team it's a big thing to be a part of a team uh you know the coaching staff that, that a lot of guys have the, the coaches are a really important part of their lives and i just think you take those things away at every level college level high school level and below i think you really strip kids of something that's extremely important for their development and uh and something that's important for their social and their and their uh their and their mental well-being and their you know I, I think all those things really factor in and i think there's more to it than just the surface level, you know, trying to keep kids safe physically, which of course everyone wants, but I think there's a lot more to it. It's a just it's a complicated issue. 
part of a team and being a part of a program um, that now you're just taking away. And to me, it's uh, that's, that's that that'd be the real sad story of all. Right. I mean, we all. If, if we're just, I think if most people are honest with themselves, we all work better when we have some sort of motivation. Um, you know, some something that you know, I guess, is going to, if I do this, then this has a chance to happen, or I have, you know, we, we all have uh, something to work for. And, and for a lot of, like, for a lot of kids, like you said, it's, it's the activity, whatever. It's obviously outside of sports, which um, I, I wish, <laughs> wish I'd mentioned that, but you did. Um, you know, outside of sports, there, there are still a lot of things that people are able to participate in, or that's one of the main, you know, that's the joy they get out of school. They go to class so that they can do these other things. And I think it's, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully people making decisions uh, take all that into account. Um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit, Coach Rosella, and talk about your experience with Team USA, um, something that very few coaches get to be a part of. The, the the other coaches that you have been around because of Team USA, I mean, it's really a who's who type of list. Um, had to have been an unbelievable experience for you. Can you kind of talk about how that began? Um, obviously, that the first year that you did it was 2018. You guys won 42 games. You had a really good year. Um, did, did it start by just kind of knowing the right person? Did, did someone seek you out? Was it the success you had there that, uh, or the proximity, you know, being in North Carolina? What exactly was it that got you uh, to that opportunity at the beginning? Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, obviously, just like anything else in this world, everything usually starts with a relationship. And, um, uh, I had a, a really close friend who's still a close friend, and um, uh, we were actually competitors. He was the head coach at Patrick Henry Community College, and he uh, came in and uh, uh, beat on us, uh, won the league championship, and we had knockdown, dragout fights on the field. Um, but off the field, we were both young coaches and, and hungry and and trying to figure out who we were and what we wanted to do. So we actually ended up through those knockdown, dragout fights, developed a really good friendship, and that's Frank Jagoda. Um, Frank is worked with USA Baseball and been a part of it so he he knew I, I always look from afar and I'm like man that is so cool I would I would love to do anything associated with that one day and so he just kind of kept on and he had me email some people and I just kind of kept emailing and saying hey whatever opens up and, you know you'll me come down there and sell tickets I will like I don't care uh, I would love to to be a part of it in any way shape or form and then Frank with, with the help of Frank, um, was able to eventually, um, they had a, a situation in the, that, that 2018 year, I believe, with uh, NTIS, uh, they needed some coaches for the Mountain West region for a couple different age groups, and they were like, hey, you're a couple hours away, I know it's last second, but would you be willing to fill in, you're not going to know any of your players, you just here to write a lineup out and get to know them and, and just try to run the tournament and get us through um, uh, this event. And I, I will be there 100%. And went down there, had an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, not necessarily tied in exactly with USA Baseball, but just to be a part of it was nice. And apparently, I, um, I did an okay job and they invited me back. Um, and then uh, that next year, was uh, asked to do the West Championships and task force task force scout, which uh, watch all the games and, and we work with. Uh, there's a team of us and there's usually a uh, team leader and you're trying to compile the list uh, of, of players that that we believe that can play on whatever age level the national team in the upcoming year at least enter into the, the selection process system. And I went to Arizona and uh, got a call to. Uh, as soon as I got back home from Arizona, that uh, uh, they had an opening on the 14U National Team Development Program, and that was just an unbelievable experience from start to finish. Um, I went down there and kind of just shut my mouth and opened my ears and eyes and just watched uh, how USA Baseball operates at that level. Uh, you know, obviously, I, all the levels that I had been at were a part of the selection process to get to that next step. So now to be a part of that was unbelievable. USA Baseball, uh, they give those kids a first-class experience. Um, you know, there's it's it's a it's a great 
honor and experience to be a part of that as a player and obviously as a coach. You wake up, you're getting fed, you're getting treated like big-time Division One college baseball player, um, pro player, whatever the thing you want to call. But the, you know they're outfitted head to toe. We're having team meetings. You're hearing from motivational speakers. You're going to you're getting on a charter bus and headed to the national training complex and doing workouts with with unbelievable coaches. And obviously they're always getting evaluated. Then um, you eat lunch and you you go back to the hotel and you get ready and you come back for you play a night game. Um, and it's just a really cool deal. You go volunteer one day, um, and it was just an unbelievable experience. And the coaches that we got to, I got to be around and just watch was just was, was inspiring and really just in awe. You know, Sean Stempler, the head coach of VCU, was our manager. Scott Brown, um, who was the pitching coach at Vanderbilt, was our uh, pitching coach, which is like, you know, hey, man, I just saw you dogpile a month ago. Um, uh, for a national championship, good to see you here. Um, and then, you know, Troy Gerlach, who's been involved in USA Baseball for a while, was, uh, was uh, he's a high school coach in Arizona, great coach, um, very knowledgeable, and he was a part of a national team that won a gold medal. So, I mean, I'm just sitting in the dugout, like, pinching myself, going, well, this is this is pretty cool. I don't know why I'm here, but let's, uh, let's enjoy this. And then this year I've worked the uh, North Carolina team championship. So USA Baseball is just, to me, the best organization for amateur baseball. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that when you watch day one of the MLB draft, um, all the highlight packages, the guys wearing what? They're wearing red, white, and blue with USA across their chest um, because it's, it's literally – it's, it's the best players in the world, and it's just an honor that I still, for whatever reason, get to be a part of. That's unbelievable. And, and the names that you mentioned there, the guys that you've gotten to be around, awesome, awesome group of guys. Um, has there been anybody there? You've been working there, uh, working with Team USA now for three years. Um, uh, is there anybody in particular that has made a, a specific impact on you, a coach you've been around, or just kind of the message that a coach has given to kids, or, or maybe a way a coach interacts with guys that's really made a big impression on you and has changed you a little bit as far as how you interact or coach your own team? Well, uh, Brownie, I mean, uh, uh, Brownie, for, for one, uh, he, he, had, he had a couple messages to our guys in, in the workout setting that resonated with me and stuff that we immediately brought back to our program and just understanding how energy is given um, you know, it's almost like into, you know, we're always broadcasting energy. You know, we got to figure out which channel we want it on because energy gives and it comes back, right? So if, if I've got good energy and positive energy, I give it to you, you give it to the next guy, you give it to the next guy, and he continues to give it to that guy, and eventually it comes back to us as the collective in, in, positive, in a positive manner for our team. And just thinking along those lines or whatever, just that was, and I'm just off the top of my head, that was something immediately that, that caught my attention. But you can't really single out the coaches because literally everybody I've come in contact with with USA Baseball is a top-shelf person and a top-shelf coach. So they, and, and that USA Baseball has a unique way and a, a unique fraternity of, of having guys come in and the guys that end up staying – uh, usually are staying for a reason. And so every single person that's affiliated in any way from NCIS to task force to national team selection process, trials, PDP league, anything, they're, they're, they're legit and they're dudes or, or, or dudettes, if you will. Um, Ashley Bratcher is over the 15 year down there and she is probably, I, my respect level for her is, through the roof and from her position and, and how she carries herself and her knowledge base um, it's unbelievable so uh, you know not to get long-winded on it but you know there's there's it's hard to really pinpoint learning something from one person because everybody that's associated with USA that continues to get invited back has an unbelievable talent that they bring to the table let's talk generally speaking from 2010, your first year as an assistant coach, 2015, your first year as a head coach, until 2020. How has Paul Roselle changed as a coach? Um, can you kind of talk people through your progression a little bit? You're still a young coach, but you've had a, you know, a good deal of success, but you've also had some ups and downs, and you've had uh, some time when you you know were not on the field coaching, and, and I'm sure those experiences um, 
impacted you as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about your own progression as a coach and and, uh, and maybe some things that uh, that you've changed along the way or, or changed your mind about or changed how you've done some things? Well, yeah, I mean, I think any young coach's journey is trying to figure out their identity. And, and the problem with young coaches, for the most part, and it's not a problem, it's just it's a reality is that – we always teach from what we know, right? So if we've had a certain coach and that's how they do it, well, if they've had success when you were there, you go, okay, that's how I'm supposed to do it, and then you go. In some instances, that's fine. But in other instances, you have to still be real to you. So for me, my path and my journey has been figuring out what my identity is as a coach and what I view as important. And so obviously as a young coach, you, you know, you, you may be higher strong and, um, you know, maybe a little quick um, trigger and, and angry. And, um, you know, for me, we were always, we were like one of the only Western schools in our region. And, you know, we were kind of like the newcomer in the town and we're here winning league championships and, and uh, our head coach at the time did a good job of, of playing into the fact like, hey, nobody likes us, um, and we like it like that. You know, all the little stuff that you do. But as a young coach, I bought into it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll be Darth Vader if you want me to. We'll be the evil empire. I don't care. And I just look back on some of those years early and just kind of laugh and, um, and cringe a little bit at some of the stuff I've done. And, you know, you grow up and you, you figure out what's important. And, and listen, I've got more desire in my little toe to win a national championship than most people do but at the same point I've kind of grown and realized that hey are we are we developing good people um, first are we developing guys that can go on and have an impact at the four-year level and hopefully the professional level and that those are the things that I'm kind of finding important now you know it's guys coming back and we just had a young man he's actually uh, in the uh, Oakland A's organization was drafted 2019, um, you know, he, he just had a baby last week, and like, like starting out, because I'm old enough now, that I'm starting to see my players grow up too, and so it makes those little things like that important, and so it, it kind of, it was all baseball all the time, and it was the only thing I cared about, and, uh, and boy, was I way off. Um, it was... We always had good relationships with players, but it was predominantly based on baseball. And then the relationships formed through that. Well, now, you know, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to make sure you're a good person and you can be a good husband and good father one day. And then, oh, yeah, we're going to play a high level of baseball, too. I'm sure for, for some kids coming from different programs, that's a new message. But if it's a new message, I've got to imagine that a – you know, a recruit hearing that for the first time has got to be like, wow, I would like that. You know, my, you said everybody is – young coaches are typically a product of their environment, uh, to paraphrase, but you're, you're a lot of times you are what you know and, and you will sometimes take on the uh, the personality of coaches that you've had in the past. And, uh, and I know it was that way with me as a young coach. I uh, probably too much took on the personality of some of the some of the head coaches that I had that weren't necessarily, uh, you know, a natural fit for my personality. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. But also sometimes I had some ideas in my mind, like as a young coach, especially I've got to be this way in order for the players to take me seriously and really like see me as a coach and not a peer because we're similar age, whatever it may be. Um, and I I know that. I, I wish I could go back and, and just uh, <laughs> have a conversation with myself at that time, at, at that time of my coaching career. And we had, you know, we had good success. And I think I had a, uh, I got, uh, you know, help players to get better, but I also think that I could have just done a better job of relating to people and, and, and making it about more than baseball, which I, I feel like sometimes my players probably got the impression that it was just about baseball with me. And that's because my I made the decision that like that, that was going to be it. We, the, our relationship is going to be baseball. And I can kind of trace that back. My, my first year coaching, I was at the same school where I played. So I'm all of a sudden coaching guys who I had been playing with and, and who, frankly, a lot of them were better than I was. And all of a sudden now I'm their coach. And uh, and it was just a strange it was a strange position to be in. Um, and I was grateful for it, but it was just a weird position. I know we we took our southern trip that first year. We went to Florida to, for a week, and 
were playing down there. My head coach basically at some point, because I was, I was hanging out with players, uh, you know, playing cards with players and like eating meals with, <laughs> with players because that those, they're my friends. And he's like, at some point, like he, he came up to me, he's like, are you, are you a player or are you a coach? Like, what are you here? And I was like, okay, uh, I guess I need to separate myself. And, and my next couple jobs, I carried that with me. Like, I really need to draw the line here. And I wish my line was in a little bit of a different place than it was. Yeah, no, I mean, but, but your, your path right there is not different than a lot of people's path. Again, it, it may have a little bit of different twists and turns, but the, the substance is all going to be the same. It's the young coach trying to figure out their voice trying to figure out who they are, what they deem important. So when they figure out what they find important for them, then they now can trickle that down to their players. And, and it's a process. And, and coaches can sit there and you can have all the advice in the world. And, and, and if there's a young coach listening to this now, I can beat you over the head with it, but you're not going to learn it until you do it, right? Like it's, you're going to go, you're going to have failures and you're going to have years and things that you do that you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. And again, right, like, People look at us, and our first year, we're finishing third at the World Series, and like, so man, this has been nothing but success, but that could be further, furthest thing from the truth. You know, yes, we still won 30-plus games every year, but there's two years in there where it was just 30 and 31 wins, and we're just a couple games over 500. Those were rough years because, A, we had set a precedent of success and how we're supposed to be, and then we kind of went backwards, but we went backwards because I was going through those growing pains of figuring out how to what kind of program I wanted to run, what my message needed to be, that mission, that vision, that values, what the, the standards that we were going to hold ourselves to. And it was me figuring those things out through trial and error to finally now land on something to where in year last year, to be honest with you, last year was the first year that I felt extremely confident not that we were going to have success, but I felt confident in where our program was. And that, okay, like I, I'm seeing the things I want to see. And those come from long, hard looks in the mirror. And again, our, our values are selfless, relentless ownership. And that ownership 100% has to start with me. Um, if, if my team isn't performing, right, if you blame the players, to me, that's a cop-out because you're in charge of the circus. You know, why, why is it going the way it's going? So there were some long, hard looks in the mirror um, uh, after seasons, and it wasn't just like one season. It was a couple seasons. Like, hey, I got better in this regard, but, man, I really let this other thing slip here, and you've got to be a lot better as a head coach here. And, you know, hey, I didn't, I didn't, guys, I didn't come prepared today in practice to be the best coach I could be. I, I think y'all got worse today, and it's 100% my fault. I, I got to be better tomorrow. And it's, it's being able to have those conversations with yourself because that's, to me, that's where growth happens. And so uh, we can't be above it as coaches because we're asking the players to do the same. Now, what you just said there about telling your players, hey, I didn't come prepared today to be my best, to be the best coach I could be, and you guys didn't get better because of that. Are those actually conversations you've had? Because I, I know that if there are coaches listening to this, it's one of the most terrifying things I think out there for a young coach who is trying to figure it out to admit to players that he doesn't have it all figured out. Like, have you actually had those conversations with players, with your team? Like, I guys, I just, I screwed up here. I didn't do the right thing. Uh, I, you know, or, or like maybe there's a philosophy you had and, and like, we're going to change that philosophy. And I know for guys like that's a, a thing too. Just it's it maybe partly an ego thing, but it's also partly like you want your players to trust you. And you worry that if I, if I admit that I've got these faults or I didn't do this good or like from one year to the next, like, Hey guys, we did this last year, but we're going to change that this year. Like I think some, you know, young coaches and I know I had this, you worry like, are, am I going to lose my players? Cause they're going to think that they're going to see that I'm not a hundred percent sure. They're going to see that I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I might be 90% sure, not a hundred percent sure. And am I going to lose my players because that's so why I'm just interested if you've had that conversation uh, with your team, and if you, and if you did, uh, you know how did it go? Because I think there's a lot of people probably listening to this that that maybe haven't had that conversation, and maybe they're selling themselves short by not having it. Do you mind? Do you mind kind of getting into that a little bit? Yeah, no. I mean, I, we have that conversation all the time, and those could be large scale or small scale. But again, ownership and accountability. Our guys, I mean, they get tired of hearing it because it's literally said every day, and so. 
Um, again, they start the year and they get put in accountability groups. So it's all about being accountable. And if you fail at something, it's nobody else's fault. It's yours. And we have to take ownership. Uh, and real quick, I heard Daniel Cormier, the UFC fighter, say it in an ESPN interview or something, but it just registered with me. He said, I didn't know he was a high school wrestling coach, um, which is pretty awesome if you're your high school wrestling coach, the UFC heavyweight champion. Um, but he said, you know, I, we, our guys, take the mat with the sole intention and purpose of getting their hand raised. But when that doesn't happen, we have to directly relate it back to something that we did not do, nothing else. And that right there, that was one of the most, uh, I guess, career-changing quotes I've ever heard because it came at a perfect time where I needed that accountability ownership. So there have been small scale at the end of a practice, right? Like, I'll come and we'll have... Uh, you know, usually I have all the practice plans posted first thing in the morning so guys know what we're doing. But there are days where like, hey, um, I had to go take my son later. He woke up later. I got a two-year-old and take him to his grandmother's house. And it's about an hour round trip back to school. And then I get in the thing. And then we got to recruit a visit. And then all the other things that come along with the head coach. And I'm putting out a half uh, practice plan, you know, 30 minutes before. So guys are already walking in, not prepared. Um, and maybe the energy level is not where I need it to be. And so immediately after practice, when we meet, it's, it's, it's confronted. Hey, uh, I did not set you guys up for success today. And I apologize for that. I will try my best to be better tomorrow. Because those things happen. Because the player is going to have a bad day. The coach is going to have a bad day. But we don't do anything if we don't acknowledge it. For some young coaches, you're so scared to death to, to not know something or to appear that you are incapable of your position. I have found that, huh, I don't know, is almost just as powerful of an answer as trying to fake your way through something. When you're, when I'm in the cage now, we're working through a guy and we're working on stuff with hitting and we're in our, our swing training stuff in the wintertime and we're both trying to get him to do something that's unique or different to him and he doesn't have a feeling for it and I may not have an exact idea. We say, I don't know. And hey, we'll bring another cup. What do you see? And so to me, it's that vulnerability that leads to a better relationship and a better connection, which ultimately down the road in the long game gets you to where you need to be because now there's trust involved. That I'm not selling them a bag of goods. I'm not blowing smoke. That we are literally trying to solve a problem and figure out what we've got to do to make you better. So now it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group effort into your development and your pursuit. Like, it doesn't matter what I know, it matters what you understand and you know. So those things have happened and do happen on the regular. In a large-scale format, yes, uh, at the beginning of last year, my 2019 year was a very rough one personally for me. Um, lost my father in December, and then my son was born in October. They thought he was blind. They thought he had a brain tumor. It was it was a nightmare spring, to uh, say the least. So baseball was not on my priority list, and my team suffered uh, from that. We had a team that I felt could have competed for a national championship. But again, you look at the numbers and you go, okay, nothing terrible, but I just really felt like I let them down. And, you know, when we came back to school, I, I met with all the sophomores and, and laid it out on the line and, you know, said that, you know, this is this is where I feel like I failed you, but here are the things that I'm going to do this year uh, to prevent those things from happening, and I promise you're going to get the best version of me in every way, shape, or form. And then ultimately, obviously, our season was cut short, but we did our exit meetings, and I had uh, quite a few players in their in their uh, their questionnaires and stuff at the end talk about, you know, you said this, and this is what you did, and, and you stuck to it, and this, you know. It was it was nice to see. So yeah, those those conversations again. I'm not trying to tell you my life story or anything, but I just think it's very very important for a young coach to. Um, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not know, um, and you can get a lot further than you think by having real open and honest dialogue and communication with your players. That's great stuff. And you, know, you said you're not here to give us your life story, but that's I think that's why people like listening to these things. I mean, we like. It's 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 good to hear the real side of people and, and coaches, and there's more to it than just you know the guy in the uniform. There's more more to this and to coaching. Um, I, I but I will 
with the coaching part of it for right now. Just what, maybe one last question, Coach, before I, I do let you go. I'm, in, I'm interested to know um, when, when you were sort of going through some growing pains as a coach and trying to figure out exactly who and what you needed to be and wanted to be, did you – how, how did did you did you lean on anybody else? You said there's a lot of looking in the mirror, which I think is really important. Did you have anybody else that maybe you leaned on? Did you have, uh, you know, was there somebody maybe you called and and, and just talked to, whether it's a baseball person or, or not? Um, did you did you read books? Did you listen to to leadership podcasts? Did you, you know, what was there anything in particular that kind of helped you to? Um, to get to where you wanted to be, you know, from where you were, you wanted to make some changes and adjustments. You and you and you had to kind of figure some things out. Is there any any one or thing in particular that helped you get there? Yeah, well, the first one is uh, Frank Pay, the guy who started the program. He, I mean, I grew up a block away from him when he was the coach at LR, and I was going to his camps. Um, and so he's been a, he's been an active member in my life. Was in my wedding. Like he, he's my guy, even though he's down the street. And technically, I guess now we're competing against each other. Um, I still will call and and you know we we, we unload stuff and bet stuff and you know am I doing the right things and you know I would obviously lean on him and he was he's always been a great support system for me. Um, my wife is always there. She's a she's a teacher, but she is unbelievable at what she does. Uh, you know, to be able to have some honest conversations with her and to to kind of help look in the mirror and what we got to change or what we got to do. But for the most part, in terms of looking outward, I, I just I believe success leaves clues, right? So I tried to find successful people, whether they were successful people in coaching baseball or successful people in business or successful people. Um, in whatever role that they play in this world, um, and I want—I I wanted to see what they do. And it's amazing that there's a lot of similarities in terms of the the high motivators, um, high energy, high productivity people. They—they they all kind of have similar things about them. So I just started to kind of lean on those things, and obviously you read books, you listen to podcasts, um, but uh, you start to kind of uh, what. Find, find somebody that's doing what you want to do and start to figure out how they're doing it. And I think that that's a very good way to start. And it's not the end-all, be-all, right? Like, you know, I think motivation is fleeting. So I think a lot of uh, people look for motivational videos or quotes or whatever, and that's great because motivation can get you started, but ultimately it's the discipline that keeps you there. So as you, you know, you look to these outside sources, that's fine. And, you know, go find, find what they're doing that makes them successful. But if you look really deep down, they, they have some form of discipline that keeps them there every day, uh, even in the days when you don't feel good. And to me, that's where the success is and people trying to learn how to grow and get better is that, okay, I don't feel good today, uh, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, but I still have a responsibility for this program and these players to give them the best I've got for the hour and a half, two hours, whatever the time frame that you're allowed with them is. So, you know, look outside, podcasts, books, all that stuff is phenomenal. Uh, and it's a great way to get started, but I would look to find something that holds that, that uh, discipline in place that allows you to do it day in and day out. And just as uh, um, as maybe some direction in people's lives, is there a book or a podcast or multiple that you uh, particularly maybe got something out of that helped you to establish what you needed to internally? Uh, is there anything you want to point to just to maybe anybody that's listening to this that might uh, you know might need a little something to help them with some direction? Is are are there is there a podcast or book or or multiple that you would like to point to just maybe to help to help help some other people out if there's one out there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of stick with more of the, the physical nature mindset of, like, you know, uh, um, follow anything, David Goggins, former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willenick, um, um his stuff is really, really good. Uh, Cameron Haynes is an ultra marathoner and a bow hunter, um, and that's something actually that's resonated with me. Um, here in the last couple months, it's something that I've started to do. I hate running, um, but watching him and understanding why he does it i've started to do it um you know i my first run i never did was like a month ago and uh, uh i got to a light and I, a lady rolled down her window and told me i was doing a good job honey keep going because apparently i looked like i was gonna die <laughs> and, uh, um, and just yesterday i did a virtual challenge where we finished 25k in four days 
So it, it, it's like, I hate doing it. But I heard Kim Haynes talk about it one time. He said, you know, his big deal is run, lift, shoot. So every day he runs a marathon, he lifts weights, and he shoots his air above. And he goes, you know, those three things are kind of my principles and my core values of what I want to do every day. He goes, the shooting part's easy. That's fun, right? Like, the shooting, the shooting arrows is always fun. A lot of things fun. You turn, you turn the music up, get a good pump in, you know, that's, that's, that's fun. He goes, for me, running is the hard part because nobody likes running. He said, but that's my discipline for me. That's the thing that I do every day that's hard, that I have to have a conversation with myself to get out of bed or to hit the road, to go lace up, to finish it, to not stop. And he goes, those things create mental calluses for me. And so that for me is what I've been doing a lot here recently and it's helped me tremendously. Uh, 1% Better podcast, um, Joe Rogan stuff, because he's always talking to high level people. Uh, and it's just interesting to hear the thoughts and the habits of what uh, high level people are doing. So uh, that's kind of uh, my short plug bag, I guess. Awesome. And that's what we hope to do here. I hope that this these podcasts are figured out, turn into that same type of thing uh, for coaches who want to get better. I mean, to be honest with you, the, every podcast that I do, Coach, it's I get something out of I, I learn something. I learn how high-level you know, high uh, performers are, are thinking and, and functioning and, and things that they do in their life, and it's um, – you know, it, it helps. I'm not on the field right now, but you still – it's a different kind of challenge to not be on the field and to have a job that, that it's a job and it's not necessarily like a real passion uh, to have that job. There's a million people, millions of people in the world who who are like that and, and that, uh, you know, to listen to how other people sort of motivate themselves or, or why they do certain things and the disciplines that they have, like it's great. It's great for anybody, whether you're, you're a coach or not. And I hope that the Figured Out Baseball podcasts turn into that. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, you kind of said you're a nobody, but uh, whether or not you're a nobody in the baseball world, you're obviously a, a someone who I, I think has a lot of things uh, going for yourself and a lot of things moving in the right direction. And I, and I believe that the leadership that you bring – uh, to your teams, the discipline for yourself, and, and and that you really put a lot of time and effort into molding yourself into the person you want to be, and it's pretty evident listening to you talk. Uh, this has been thoroughly enjoyable for me. This is Paul Rosell, everybody. He's the head coach at Catawba Valley Community College, a Division II uh, junior college in Hickory, North Carolina. Coach Rosell, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for the time and, and for everything that you've shared with us today. Jeff, I appreciate it. Again, honored to be here. And like I said, uh, this podcast, you're doing a great job with it, so keep it up. And um, excited to continue to follow uh, your path as well.